your animation archaeologists, Jacob and Michael. Hey everybody, welcome to Back in Tunes. Uh, this is going to be a change of pace. Uh, this episode, basically, we're going to be doing the intro part, and then my friend John is taking over for another anime blast. Uh, I could pronounce it to save my life. I think it's at Agrizutsuko. I don't know. It's it's uh, an anime that he's really into. So uh, he did a mini episode. We're doing a mini episode. We're going to combine it into one. And uh, Jacob's on the other side with me. Hi, hi. I'm still here. <laughs> it's been a little bit since <laughs> It's been a little bit since we did an episode, so uh, we're just doing this as a fill-in. We're going to be doing the Filmation special next, and then Scooby-Doo for Halloween. Uh, so this week, we just kind of want to mention, uh, we mentioned a little bit about Richard Williams on the last podcast, and uh, in that time that he passed away, and we are actually, uh, I mean, that's just a weird coincidence, because we mentioned it, and like three days later, he passed away. Um, if you don't know Richard Williams, um, a very, very independent animator who would do studio projects from time to time, uh, to pay for a dream, um, project called, oh God, okay, so this is a weird one. How have you seen this first? Is it Arabian Nights or Thief and the Cobbler? Uh, I knew it as Thief and the Cobbler, and, uh, it's where Matthew Broderick was the one narrating and, you know, pretty much voiced over for tech. Okay, now see, I know that version. I swear that version is called Arabian Nights, right? Okay, really? hold on. Which is the version we just watched? Shit, this I can't believe this happened. Didn't didn't we not just well, we watch watched the uh, director's cut? Yeah, but was it called Thief and the Cobbler well, or Arabian Nights? Kind of chopped Knights? up and you know a little raw. Yeah, it was Thief and, Thief and the Cobbler. Okay, so but I know for a fact that there was the Arabian Nights on VHS and it had the Matthew Broderick voiceover. It was chopped up by Miramax, and uh. Because I remember seeing on tape and going, Arabian Nights, that sounds a lot like Aladdin. That sounds like a direct ripoff of Aladdin, if I'm not correct, you know. And I, I I tossed it away, didn't think about it. I know it got rented quite a bit, but mm. it faded away, I think, after a couple of years. And, you know, rumor would kind of go around that there was alternate versions of this, that he was never able to complete it. And I've seen over the last, like, 12 years, different versions of it pop up on Amazon. You cannot find Arabian Nights anywhere. You can't, I, I can't find the uh, Matthew Broderick version either. Wow. That was the version I knew. Yeah. Dang, you can't I find it anywhere. That as a kid. Yeah. This, uh, wow. so the yeah, version, somewhere. the version we saw was called the cobbled edition. And that one is ugly and a mess, but it is the closest thing to his true vision. Yes, I mean if it was completed, uh, I, I, I could I um, if I could compare it to anything, I, I compare it to uh, Superman Two Richard Donner's cut. Except, yeah, that's basically wrong. that's the closest thing I could possibly think of is that version. Um, yeah, it's unbelievably unique in the way it looks. I've never seen an animated movie look like this. No, of course, indeed. And even at just the frame rate, I'm like, wow. Uh, it almost seems like somewhat cell shaded. Like they actually got, um, you know, like what they did with uh, Disney back in the day. They actually got people and they would just like, you know, create and um, draw based off their movements and their actions and performances. Yeah, no, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, and it was uniquely styled for sure. Yeah. And what we saw, it was filled with animatics. Uh, single drawings, uh, so it's extended for about, I think, about 20-25 minutes. It's still a very interesting movie, but I, w I wouldn't add it to my list of the greats. 
No. You know, funny thing though, my nickname was Cobbler in my old improv class at uh, when I was in high school. Why? Well, just because my name was Jacob, and it was just you know, my oldest, my older brothers would call me that. They would just say Cobbler. They just you know, we just gave each other some dumb nicknames. Oh. So it stuck with it. My, I mean, of my nickname was Thief. <laughs> I don't know why they kept calling me this. I only was stealing things. Why call me Thief? It's so rude. I don't get it either. <laughs> I don't know why. You, you don't steal anything. It's like you turn. You're too nervous to steal anything. I know. I know. Um, I'm a thief of hearts. That's it. Thief of attention spans. Uh-huh. I steal time. At the end of stories, people uh, are like, thanks for wasting my time, Jackass. So, just like Justin Timberlake in that one movie. Uh, shit, what was that one called? In Time. Is it the one where they put their wrists together and they, uh, they borrow time? They still time? Oh, Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I sent you some other stuff by Richard Williams, and for life of me, I can't remember what the hell it was. Yeah, there were animation ads he did, like, once for, like, saying no to cigarettes. There was a Superman one that I enjoyed. Uh, then there was like one involving a cat. I'm like, I'm looking at some of it. I'm like, oh Jesus, like itchy, scratchy stuff. Good lord. <laughs> there are a lot of advertisements, you know, short commercial blocks uh, in between. Um, uh, the compilation you sent me was about ten minutes long. Oh, okay. And it went by quickly though. I'm like, wow, this is some, this is some great stuff. And of course, we talked about how he did some of the openings for movies. What's new, Pussycat? Uh, MGM was a big mm. fan of him, so he did a couple of the Pink Panther ones, which are absolutely fantastic. Maybe the best yeah. of the bunch. Oh gosh. Uh, oh, did I send you? Rag- no. I did, I don't think I sent you uh, Raggedy Ann and Andy. Uh, no, you did. Was, That's what I was just about to I mention. I did. Okay. Yes. Uh, you know, at first I thought that was Bernadette Peterson. I'm like, I don't know. They had the same tone of voice, but then I realized it was Didi Khan who voiced. Oh, Raggedy from Greece. Andy. Okay. Yes. Oh, God. You're the most adorable and lovable Didi Khan. How can you not like her? <laughs> Who was still in school in Greece, too, which is clearly years later. I just, I can't seem to graduate. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I thought she was held back a year because, remember, she went to beauty school. And then That's, she okay, yeah, yeah, you're right, 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 right. It's, it's not years later. Crazy. I forgot it's supposed to be the next year, even though it's filmed like five years later. Yeah, it sucked. Yeah. I mean, there were some good moments. The bowling song but, is so stupid, yeah. Let's not get too far oh, yeah. off track here. This is about Richard Williams. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I never understood the appeal of Raggedy Ann and Andy. That's one of these things that was really popular when I was a kid, and I was just, like, at a complete loss as to why it was right. so popular, yeah. No, I mean, uh, I guess it was just, like, one of those classic toys that, you know, stick with you, like that silly-ass sock monkey or... Uh... Teddy Ruxpin, the bear that kills... Oh. Ah, no. <laughs> You know what? I wish I got a Teddy Roxton instead of you. Shit, <laughs> one more time. <laughs> the uh, I know I think there's a couple other TV specials, but this is the one that was released theatrically, so it was a little more expensive, a little more uh, beautiful. Um, and I know he did a couple TV specials. He did Ziggy's Gift. Uh, Ziggy to me is like Kathy. I don't understand the appeal. It seems to appeal for people who work on work in an office back in 1982. You know, yuppie. It's, it's yucky, yuppie comedy. Yeah. Nobody likes the Yuppies. No, but... I like to make fun of them. Um, yeah, it's so funny. Back then, there were so many of these specials based on comic strips. Back when comic strips were just a phenomenon. It's barely even a thing oh, now. Yes. Yeah, I know. I mean, very few off, uh, often will I see uh, will I see an actual comic strip or an actual newspaper. But when I do, it's adorable. I'm like, okay, Dilbert's still around. Oh, hey, I know this one. This is an old Spider-Man one. I would look through some of the vintage stuff. But, yeah, no. Not even Calvin and Hobbes, I think. 
No, well, that's been done for a long time. Yeah, they only air. You can only see strips of that, like you know, the collected edition. But um, yeah, so he did Ziggy, and that's such a strange thing for him to choose. Must have been a a good paycheck to finish. I think a a lot of the stuff he just took so he could finish his magnum opus. And I would say Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a big push in that direction. You know, that's a a very expensive Mm -hmm. movie. Spielberg's involved, and. he got Zemeckis and all the great characters. Everybody's hyping this movie like crazy, and he did amazing animation. And I just, I like Thief and the Cobbler for what it is, but I kind of wish he had that style going. Oh, yeah, no, God, it was, like, so unique. Um, again, just, like, from strange character head shapes, I mean, just the flow of the animation, the frame rate. No, uh, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm a Philistine who has no class or taste. I wanted Thief and the Cobbler to have more of Roger Rabbit's animation style because I am a fool. <laughs> I know who I am, and I own it. That you do, sir. That you do. But hey, how can you blame? Uh, can we blame him? I mean, Roger Rabbit was freaking classic, and even at the, what it did, it was pretty groundbreaking, blending uh, actual animation with live action. Yeah. It, to make you think like it was just so real, like they actually—it's like you as a kid, like oh my god, the cartoon you just blew my speaker, jackass. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Your ears aren't bleeding, are they? No, I pooped my pants, so you you, you did the brown sound. Well, oh, God, I'm rectally bleeding, but it'll be all right. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, this gave him the power to basically get uh, the, the movie finished. He'd been working on it since 1973. I believe it's the longest animated movie ever in production. And um, Warner Brothers had a deal to distribute it, and he just took forever and ever ever and rotating his entire animation team changing the stories and i think that they just got sick and tired of waiting warner brothers uh canceled the distribution deal the completion bond required that it be taken away from richard williams so they just like patched together with what they could um miramax was known for doing these kind of movies that were patchwork and cutting them up even more and they just oh, like said God. and i think that's why they changed it to raving nights they could sell it as if it was a sequel to aladdin i think if i even remember correctly the poster on the front looked like uh aladdin and uh oh, definitely did. and you know they they probably paid matthew Broderick and a couple other people like a hundred thousand dollars just to show up for a few days and do voice work and just threw it out there and it, it just barely got released this got released i believe is a double bill with never ending story three. Oh wow yeah no one remembers that movie but they were released either together or really close um kind of i feel like aladdin what's that kid in aladdin's castle was around the same time too or no king and king arthur's court what is it called? The, the one with King Arthur's Court, yeah. Yeah, the one with uh, Thomas Ian Nicholas. Yes, that's what it was. Um, but, yeah, you know, yeah, again, uh, you know who disagreed with, like, cutting up and chopping up their mo- uh, films? Hayao Miyazaki. Yeah. He I said, you are not touching my film. Yeah. And Miramax is notorious <laughs> for that. The Edward, uh, he has a nickname Harvey Scissorhands. Well, the nickname now is probably Harvey Rapist. But uh, hopefully he gets punished for that one. Oh, big time. Yeah. He'll, be, he'll be getting that punishment in jail. Ooh, yeah. Right next to big old Bubba, his cellmate. <laughs> I heard you make good movies. Uh, well. <laughs> uh, yeah, not to go too dark on that. So that's kind of an overview of a little bit of Richard Williams. If you haven't seen him, you did definitely check out some of his uh, commercial work. It's very interesting, very high quality for TV back then. Oh, God, yes. I know. I'm watching it. I'm like, dang, this looks like this should be running now. There's a lot of... Just made, that know? was a big thing in the 70s and 80s because they didn't have CGI. They didn't have special effects. They had to use animation. So there's lots of animated mascots, too. I mean, Charlie Tuna, 
apparently a suicidal oh, yeah. fish who wants to, who desperately wants to be put in a can, chopped up and put in a can. And the man needs help. He wants help. you to eat him alive. <laughs> I'll never be good enough to be a tuna. Yeah, it's uh, yeah stuff like that. I really love food. It's great. You know, I was trying to think of other ones. Uh, scrubbing bubbles. That's right. Um, yes. Raid. Uh, just there's so many of them. What's the uh, what's the uh, the Toucan Sam? There's uh, lots of more surreal animation characters, of course. Uh, the Coco Crispy's monkey. Yeah, and what's the frog? Uh, Honey Smacks. Yeah, Smacks. You want some Smacks? <laughs> I got some for you. I always thought about doing an episode. We did one last year about music videos with animation. I thought about doing one about animated commercials. Only problem is trying to track down who does the animation, and that's the hard part. Yeah, no. Oh, gosh. But, it's tough to, I mean, it is tough to track down, yeah, especially but, when stuff's not archived. Here's the thing. In January, when we do hit uh, Rewind, um, the spinoff of Back in Tunes, where we kind of combine all the nerdy stuff together... We could do an episode where we just talk about the uh, the uh, old commercials and stuff like that, but it's gonna be weird because I don't know if you've seen. Okay, you know what? That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna do one of the '80s and one of the '90s, and that way I can go, hey, you'll be like, what is this? I've never heard of this company. I'll be able to explain some of it to you, and then you can do the same thing for the '90s. Exactly. And as far as it goes for the '90s, I was a little kid and I saw a lot of toy advertisements too. Yeah, that's what we're definitely gonna do. We're gonna go do some old toy advertisements. In fact, you know what? We're kind of wrapping our part here, uh, and we're going to jump into John's part. But I want to throw in some commercials, some old animated commercials. You'll hear the audio for that because uh, it's something I've been wanting to do for a while. So I think that'd be fun. For sure. Okay, so we're not really signing off, but uh, just segueing all over to John. Check us out on Facebook under Back in Tunes. And, uh, Jacob, thank you. Oh, hey, it's no problem. All right. Bye, everybody. Da 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 cartoon character the wwb ribbit exactly i know that's right i know that's where i remember him from and of course again he was uh again doing uh it was an homage to him in space balls with that little alien popping out of uh, john hurt's chest again. oh my god i forgot about that yeah 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 <laughs> okay we've gone too long uh, everybody uh it's time after these messages we'll be right back From the Academy Award-winning animator of Who Framed Roger Rabbit comes an extraordinary new adventure. Behold the wonders of Arabian Night. Journey to a faraway land guarded by magic. We are safe from any threat as long as those three golden balls are on the minaret. Where a wicked <laughs> wizard schemes to steal the throne. The world is mine to take! And a thick-headed thief paves the way for disaster. The balls are gone! Now, only the courage of a beautiful princess. But she is more than this. The determination of a humble shoemaker. What is your name? I'm Tack. And the help of some outrageous new friends. I am Ruthless, the chieftain. Can save an enchanted kingdom. Bing, 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 bing,
Just like they miss. Get ready to battle the one-eyes. <laughs> Boogie with the brigands. No. And go for the gold. With the first animated motion picture created in widescreen cinemascope in over three decades. Featuring the lyrics of Oscar-winning songwriter Norman Gimbel and the voices of Vincent Price. Gentlemen, what a delight. And Jonathan Winters. Good morning, Arabia. Arabian Night. Atari presents the wacky new Pigs in Space video game cartridge with Miss Piggy and the Muppet Crew. Three far-out space adventures in one. She's great. You guys are in big pig trouble. Pigs in Space video game cartridge from Atari. Video game console sold separately and hooked up by an adult. To my house. I'll bring my guys. You have yours. I've got Junkyard Dog. It's World Wrestling Federation Superstars. I've got Brutus Beefcake. Here's George Gamble Steel. I've got Great Gamble Valentine. Ricky the Dragon Steel. They're so real. And Rowdy Rod Piper. Can you tell the difference? Yeah. Yeah. Wrestling Superstars. They're for real. Eight sold separately from LJN. Yeah. Ronald McDonald and friends meet the Rockin' Hotcakes. The Rockin' Hotcakes, come on! If you wake up to a happy sound, the Rockin' Hotcakes are coming around. The Rockin' Hotcakes are really neat. Taste the rainbow of fruit flavors. In Skittles. All your favorite fruit flavors. In Skittles. Colorful candy shells with fruit flavors in the middle. Strawberry, orange, lemon, lime. In Skittles. Bite sized candies. Taste the rainbow of fruit flavors. In Skittles. For S'mores Crunch. But we're headed for the rock. No problem. Sit for a spell and have some chocolatey Grahams and marshmallows galore. An enchanted part of this nutritious breakfast. S'mores Crunch cereal. It's s'mores fun for breakfast. <laughs> I don't believe what's in my S'mores Crunch. Zeus, the new crunchy candy bubble gum. You can get a pack inside specially marked boxes. And, uh, <laughs> zook out. <laughs> Fluoride toothpaste and toothbrushes for more obesity. 
Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another installment of Back in Tunes Anime Blast, where we know the catharsis of growling like a mofo to screaming guitars and some double bass blast beats. I'm your host, John, and this time I'm flying solo. That's okay, because I'm going to be talking about my spirit animal here. This episode is all about an amazing show starring my favorite animated red panda, Agretzko. Now, wait a minute, I can hear many people are going, Gretzko is a young Japanese female office drone, and you, sir, are none of those things. And I say to them, have you ever worked? Work sucks. It doesn't matter if I haven't had to run the same exact employment gauntlet that my darling Retsuko has. We've both experienced a soul-crushing existence that is full-time employment. We've both dealt with the shitty bosses and backstabbing co-workers. We've had to do things that are outside our job description due to us being the quote-unquote responsible ones. I'm sure you have too. That's the thing about a Gretzko. It's possibly one of the most relatable shows out there. Now, Gretzko, or Aggressive Retsuko, if you want to be, if you want to translate it accurately, is a workplace comedy drama based on the character created for the Sanrio mascot company. Now, I'm not going to go into the history of Sanrio. If you want to learn about them, I would recommend checking out the Hello Kitty episode of the Netflix series The Toys That Made Us. By the way, we are not sponsored by Netflix anyway, so if I say Netflix over and over again, it's purely by coincidence and not me getting paid every time I mention Netflix. Now, Agretzko made her debut in a series of one-minute shorts that ran from 2016 to 2018. These episodes were written and directed by Rarecho, who would later do the same for the Netflix series and would also provide the death metal vocals in the Japanese dub. The basic concept for the show is pretty simple. Retsuko is a single 25-year-old anthropomorphic red panda who works in the accounting department of a big Japanese company. She's worked there for five years and is completely burned out. Now, to cope with the stresses of office life, she secretly visits a karaoke bar in order to belt out death metal songs based around the things and people that have been troubling her. Now, like all good work comedies, The Office has its fair share of heroes and villains. You know, these these are the people who usually cause Ritsuko her stress. You know, such as the director of her department, Mr. Tun, is literally a chauvinist pig who would rather golf than work, although he is actually really good at his job but not having to use newfangled technology, and actually even has moments that show that he does occasionally care about people who work under him. He's just kind of old school, so he doesn't really show it very well. Tun has a uh, meerkat assistant named Komiya, and he's a wormy little fuck. You know, he basically would do anything and everything he can in order to uh, please Tun, which usually involves ratting out everybody around him. There's uh, Subone, a uh, Komodo dragon who is Retsuko's senior in the office, who basically just finds as many ways as she can to make Retsuko do all of her work. Not Retsuko's work, I mean Subone's work, because basically, you know, you've, you've had those people that you've worked with who pretty much will use their position to uh, screw you over by basically going, hey, uh, by the way, make sure you get this done and this done and this done. And then they get mad at you if it's wrong, even though it's their work to begin with. Uh, Sunoda is a gazelle who is pretty and young and uses these things to basically manipulate everybody around her, especially Tun, who uh, she wants, basically wants Tun to look on her favorably constantly, so in doing so, reduce her workflow. So she basically kind of sits around, she, oh, 
Oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, this is... Oh, show me how you do that golf swing. And, you know, she comes off as a ditz, but she's completely self-aware about what she's doing. And, in a way, is kind of the mo- one of the most genuine characters in the entire show. You know, she knows everything is this uh, sexual politics game. And she is going to play it to win, essentially. As long as she can, anyway. There's also Kaibe, uh, a hippo, who is the office gossip. And she has ways to get you to talk. She knows that there's a secret. She will find it. And while she can be annoying, she's also a wonderful mother. Because we do see her family life in the second season. And just how good she is with her family. And also, she ends up kind of becoming a mother figure to some of the people in the office as well. Now, in the second season, we do get a character named Anai. Who is like a Gen Z, maybe... Yeah, younger millennial Gen Z, whichever works there. He's a badger who's recently graduated from college, and he's starting his first real job. And he's a complete and total psychopath. Like, I mean, seriously, this guy is in fucking sane. He can't take any kind of form of constructive criticism. He issues his demands uh, when, when he feels slighted. He issues demands for apologies via text and will only accept them through text. And he also creates deadlines for these things as if you know you've 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 offended my sensibilities you said this at this time and this time and i will send this up to hr if you don't if you don't apologize to me post haste and basically and i talk about also being a psychopath it's like you attempt to talk to him about these things and he freaks the fuck out on you and of course he won't do it to your face he'll do it to you behind your back well, not behind your back, he sends it to you in a text. And it, during the first first half of the second season, this is kind of the biggest issue. Especially considering uh, everyone kind of, ah, ha, ha, it's not that bad. Then they say something to him. And we're going all the way up to ton. But Kaibe is the only one who manages to reach out. Well, she's reached out to everybody, but she manages to reach him. And she basically just kind of treats him like a child. Because he is, in a way, still emotionally a child. But also, in the second season, we're uh, introduced to Retsuko's mother. Retsuko's mother is essentially a very controlling person. She feels like she wants what is best for Retsuko, which is mainly to get Retsuko married. Because if Retsuko does not get married, she'll become an old maid, and she will die alone, and we can't have that. So she basically tra- uh, takes it upon herself to become the matchmaker and find Retsuko the perfect man. Which, technically, she does at one point, but then Retsuko does not go for him. And ends up kind of regretting it, which is kind of a shame because the dude did kind of seem very cool. Now, all that considering, Ritsuko does actually have some friends in the office. And heck, she does end up uh, falling in love at some point, too. Uh, there's Fenico and Haida, a fox and a hyena who are her co-workers. Fenico, who, if I'm Retsuko, Heather, my fiancé, is 100% Fenico. Fenico's the office cynic. She basically kind of watches the office, uh, kind of examines ev- how everyone's acting. She's just constantly, I don't want to say people watching, but she's gathering data. She watches their social medias, sees the patterns, and it's basically looks for all the inconsistencies because this is a game to her. She's enjoying creating this world and seeing how it functions, but not really wanting to engage with it too much. And then Haida is a nice guy. And I don't mean the dreaded internet nice guy. I mean, he's a genuinely nice dude who has a crush on Retsuko. He loves her. He can't tell her. It's, a, you know, the kind of the typical uh, anime trope of that. And if just one day, if he got the courage to go and talk to the girl, 
Maybe his uh, fortunes would change. But, you know, he doesn't. Now, Risco also has a friend in Puko, who is this free-spirited cat who has lots of ambition, but doesn't really want to be tied down to anything. Uh, basically, she wanders through life and... At one point, she's... Well, actually, she does set it up. Uh, she wants to create an import business. Brings in products, sells them, and wants to use it to travel the world. The problem is she wants to... You know, when she's telling Retsuko this, Retsuko is trying to get out of her job. And Retsuko misunderstands this by thinking, Oh, you're creating a shop. I would love to work at an import shop with my best friend. This would be awesome. And then she learns that it's an online business. There's no storefront, and, you know, that would keep costs down. Eventually, we do see Puko doing this, but she, you know, because she's not exactly a... I don't want to say she's not a business-minded person, but because of her kind of free-spiritedness, her partner is also kind of free-spirited and layabout, and they have the ambition, but they don't have the the total will to actually run something like this. And so it's kind of a shame to see that, but you do have those kind of people out there in the world who have the ambition, but just don't have the stability to uh, to keep that running. Now, while Puko's her best friend from school, uh, Haida and Feniko are, are Ritsuko's closest friends at work, Ritsuko also becomes close to the most powerful ladies in the entire firm, Gori and Washimi. Now, Gori is a gorilla who's the director of marketing, while Washimi is a secretary bird, and she's the secretary <laughs> to the uh, company's president. Although, you can easily argue that Washimi is probably really in charge, since the president of the company is kind of an idiot, and she pretty much says yay or nay to his own ideas. So, you know, uh, yeah. And these two, uh, well, these three end up kind of meeting because every now and then you'll see the the two ladies walking through the office and you know they're confident they're the baddest bitches in the office and you know as they round a corner they drop their guard for a second around each other and just like oh, how much longer can we really do this sort of you know sort of reactions but Retsuko looks up to them because you know these are the most powerful ladies in the company and just by happenstance ends up going to yoga which is at the same studio that the two ladies frequent and they end up becoming friends and at a point they end up actually not only do they end up uh, learning Retsuko's secret of her uh, metal obsession but they even go on a road trip at one point which ends up actually affecting the uh, ladies relationship because you know, as good of friends as they are, sometimes there's, I don't want to say secrets that are held, but uh, sometimes uh, we don't tell our best friends things that we don't feel are necessary to tell them. And this drives, this sort of thing drives a wedge between the two. Now, since Haida is unable to confess his feelings, Ritsuko does end up dating two different guys over the two seasons. She meets uh, Risasuke, who's also Red Panda, but he is a total flake. He's a space cadet. He exists in neutral. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't understand anything socially. Yeah, this guy is just basically buttered toast. I mean, he's the blandest bland that ever blanded. She sees something in him because he was nice to her in a uh, in this multi-blind date sort of situation where a bunch of people are coming together and, hey, let's all see if we can pair up with each other. And she just, the guy she's paired up with isn't who she was looking for, but the other guy, the other guy down the way, kind of seemed to fit the bill. 
you know, it was nice. They had a wonderful little conversation. But just as they uh, went along dating, she just kind of noticed that he never really engages her. He's just kind of, he's physically there, but not really mentally. Now, in the second season, uh, she ends up meeting Tadano. Gretzko is going out to get her uh, driver's license. And there's this guy who's hanging out there. He's failed the driving test a couple of times. He doesn't really seem all that interested doing it. He's just kind of there to hang out. And, you know, he, he's just kind of, he's a layabout, it seems. And, I mean, he's, he seems like a, you know, he's a good guy. He's a good conversationalist. He's, he's a pleasant person. But then Retsuko, well... He has a secret that Retsuko eventually finds out and does manage to change her life in a big, big way. And especially because he grants her the escape that she's always wanted. You know, she doesn't want to work in the office anymore. She, but at the same time, what he's offering her at the end of the day isn't also exactly what she wants, even though she genuinely likes the dude. And being with him would probably be, in some ways, a good thing for her, but also in many ways, not I'm intentionally being vague about this only because in a show that doesn't really have much in the way of spoilers or, you know, rev revelations or anything, Tadano's revelation is probably the biggest thing that could be counted as a spoiler. So I'll leave that alone. Uh, but yeah, he's a pretty good dude, just not a great dude. Now, currently, Netflix has two seasons with a third having been recently, as of this recording, been announced. Now, each of these have 10 episodes that run 15 minutes long, as well as a Christmas special that separates the two. Now, in the small amount of time that a Gretzko has to present a story, it manages to pack in the most relatable and emotional content than hell, full, you know, most full-length TV series out there. And I'm not talking just anime, I mean... There's so much stuff in this thing that they managed to make a world that not only lives and breathes, you know, that, that feels alive, but you can relate to. I know these people in this office, even though I've never even worked in an office. I know these people. I've worked with most of them. I've had, I've had horrible bosses. I've had great bosses. But you, once you see this thing, you know everything about this is not artifice, even though it's you know, anthropomorphic animals running around doing goofy things. Now, yes, the animation style is a bit simplistic. Sure, it's Sanrio. It has, Sanrio has a very specific visual style. In this, even though the show is filled with grown-up themes and it's got a potty mouth, it's still Sanrio and it's still, you know, they have control over it, but not, not to the extent that it feels generic or bland. But as you can probably tell, especially from me wanting to talk about this and willing to do this alone, I highly recommend the series. And it's not just because I'm a fan of metal. Hell, metal's barely a, a part of this show. You know, most of these songs that you get are maybe like, what, 15, 30 seconds a clip and the opening song? You know, it's there's not a lot of metal in a show based around the idea of a red panda who sings death metal. Although, one little side note, I would definitely recommend watching the English dub, because, for me anyway, I am not a fan of Rare Cho's uh, metal vocals. It just does not, they don't work for me. It, I do, I guess they do fit a little more uh, in tone with the character's uh, own voice, but uh, Jameson uh, Boaz's English vocals managed to give these performances a lot more distinction and nice juxtaposition to Erica Mendez's uh, version of Retsuko. And it, it's hilarious, because especially you kind of go like, even though she is, she is the one doing the singing here, 
it kind of feels like a lot of it is her inner monologue in a lot of cases, too. Now, listeners, thank you for joining me on this. I know this is a short show. Uh, I had to go and talk about this. This is one of my absolute top ten favorite series of all time. And Back in Tunes is part of the Retro Rocket Entertainment family, which you can find on Twitter or RetroRocketEntertainment.com. Check out the other great shows we have available to download, such as Video Night or Comics on Infinite Earth. I'm on Twitter, M-Y-U-Z-I-S-H-I-O-N, Musician. Now, there should be one more episode for October, and then after that, we'll be taking a break till April or May next year. But if we don't manage to get that one rolling, I just want to thank you all. This is going to be the end of Season 1. We are going to have more, as I said, back next year, and we're going to try and do a lot more full dives into a show. But all things uh, considered, yeah, I think we're going to have a good time next year. I have some good things in mind. But anyway, guys, thank you very much, and we'll see you later. This is all you-